I invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Psalms 41. Happy is one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in the day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. I said, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak malicely about me. Where will he die and be forgotten? When one of them comes to visit, he speaks deceitfully. He stores up evil in his heart. He goes out and talks. All who hate him whisper together about me. They plan to harm me. Something awful has overwhelmed him, and he won't rise again from where he lies. Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. But you, Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. Then I will repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy does not shout and triumph over me. You supported me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Pastor Dusty White from Cormdale Church up the road. I'm really glad that you guys have had me uh, come and preach today, mostly because I think in a couple years, I'm not going to be able to make it up these stairs. I mean, these things are intense. So uh, if you haven't volunteered for anything on stage, I understand why. <laughs> uh, we have great affection for you, First City. Uh, up the road, and it is a joy to pray for you and to be here this morning. Uh, one day back in the 90s, my family walked out into the driveway, and the wheels were gone off of one of our cars. Uh, it was our Ford Thunderbird, and my family got that car when I was a younger guy, and I always I grew up wanting to drive it. And uh, if you're a car person, just know that it had the Ford 5.0 engine in it. And uh, that was the same time that Vanilla Ice had the same, had a Mustang with the 5.0 engine in it. And so I just really wanted to be driving that car. <clears throat> now, there's something you need to know. I became a Christian halfway through high school, which means that I had some really foolish younger friends, okay, that followed me into middle school and into high school. I'm telling you that mostly so that you don't judge my choice of friendships in this story, Okay. Part of God's grace in your life when you surrender your will to his is that he beautifully changes your relationships and friendships, and that was good for me that day in particular because those tires were stolen by one of my friends. My family walks out into the driveway, the wheels are gone, the car is sitting on paint cans, which I just think that's a creative way to get some wheels. Um, they're not really strong. But hey, that's, that's what was going on. Um, it didn't take long, however, to figure out where those tires might be because each paint can had the last name on it <laughs> and the last name traced back 
to one of uh, my foolish friends from childhood into my adolescent years, okay? So now, not only are the wheels and tires gone, but a feeling of betrayal sets in, because now it's personal. It's not just something is stolen. Now it's personal. And my dad, who wasn't the nicest guy when bad stuff happened, he got real quiet because the knowledge registered from the paint cans. And we get the car jack. We swapped out the paint cans for blocks of wood because we're smarter than they are. You should at least use wood, you know, like some timbers or something. And so my dad's being really quiet. And the only thing he, I remember him saying is, let's go. And he said it really quietly, you know, not like, let's go. <clears throat> so we show up at the kid's house. We get out. My dad grabs all four paint cans, and we walk up the driveway, and this is the part where you're not sure if the story is real, but I guarantee you this is real. In real time, two of the tires are already on one of their vehicles, and, the, and they're trying to put the other two on. So I think the timing could not have been better or worse. It just kind of depends on which side of the paint cans you're on. Nobody talks, nobody says anything, except my dad says, you left these at our house. There's no reply. We exchange silently the paint cans for our wheels, and then we head back home. It was a day that I will never forget. Mostly because I remember thinking, if I steal stuff, don't sign your name. I mean, that's just key. Like, if you're going to take stuff, don't sign your name. I don't think you're supposed to steal stuff, by the way, so kids, don't steal stuff. I had already distanced myself from this kid a while back. The wheels were one thing, but the betrayal put a pretty significant pit into my stomach. And also, my entire family was betrayed in that moment. Now, that's a pretty funny story now. Even my family, when we talk about it, we reflect with fondness about that whole thing mostly because we like to make fun of how they stole the tires. But how about for you? Have you ever been betrayed? I'm not sure there's a worse feeling. I'm not sure there's a worse experience in the world than being betrayed. And I am confident that most of you have a story of betrayal somewhere in your life. Some of you, have been betrayed by a spouse. Some of you have been betrayed by a family member. Some of you have been betrayed by a close friend. And if we're going to read Psalm 41 honestly this morning, and if we're going to talk about betrayal honestly this morning, then we also have to face the fact that some of us have done the betraying. And even though you might have asked for forgiveness and been reconciled. You can still feel the shame and you can feel the guilt and you can feel the ugliness of that betrayal. And one of the reasons that I love the Bible is because it doesn't shy away from really hard stuff, hard topics like betrayal. And it actually talks about the real stuff, the hard stuff, the sad stuff, things like betrayal. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. Psalm 41 shows us how to have a gospel reflex to betrayal. 
That's what it's going to show you this morning. Psalm, 40, Psalm 41, excuse me, is going to show you how to have a gospel reflex to betrayal. That's what we're doing today. We're learning from Psalm 41 how to develop new muscles when we are betrayed. So whether it's past, present, or maybe future betrayal, Psalm 41 is here to guide you. Here's where we're headed. Pretty simple today. Here's where I, here's where I want to take you, where I think the psalm takes us. When you are betrayed, we got to look in. And when you're betrayed, you also have to look up at the cross. And when you are betrayed, we also have to look forward. So, simple is where we're headed. Psalm 41. When you are betrayed, first of all, friends, look in. Psalm 41, verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So when you are mistreated or betrayed, our first instinct, isn't it, always, is to figure out how to point the finger. We're always looking at the other person. And this psalm is not going to let the betrayer off the hook. We see that later on. We'll get to that. But the first thing this psalmist does, the first thing a Christian should do, united to Christ, is to look in. Psalm 41, verse 4. So when it comes to strife, betrayal, or hard relationships, before there is a them, there is a me. And one of the best books ever written on dealing with conflict and relationships, a book that's become sort of a guidebook for Christian mediation and conflict resolution. I just grabbed this book off my shelf a couple weeks ago. Is Ken Sandy's book, Peacemaker, first published back in 1982, okay? And in that book, Sandy lays out a process for resolving disputes. The second step in the process that he gets to is it's called get the log out of your own eye. And he says this, whether the dispute involves a personal quarrel, divorce, lawsuit, or church division, people generally treat one another as they are being treated. When one person attacks and accuses, so does the other. And when God moves one person to start getting the log out of his or her own eye, it is rare that the other side fails to do the same. When we admit that our own sins are so serious that Jesus had to die for us, and remember that he has forgiven us for all our wrongs, we can let go of our illusion of self-righteousness and freely admit our failures. When we do this, we experience the wonderful gift of God's forgiveness, and in many cases, he will be pleased to use our confessions to help others see the logs in their eyes. So friends, when you are betrayed, look in. Psalm 41, verse 4. And secondly, when you are betrayed, you also have to look up. You have to remember what Christ has done for you, and you have to look up at the cross. This is where it starts to get more real, friends. Psalm 41, verse 5, says this. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words. While his heart gathers iniquity, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. 
All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. And then in verse 9, it gets real. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. This is where, in the middle of the psalm, we see the painfulness of betrayal. The psalmist starts by acknowledging that he has enemies out in the public square. People are rooting for his demise. Maybe that's happened to you on social media. But that's not really news, right? We all have these kinds of people in our lives. What hurts, what stings the most is verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, trust is the currency of all relationships, friends, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Okay, now now you're recalling some betrayal stories, right? Betrayal blindsides us and it cuts us really deep because it comes from those who are really close to us that we trusted. Absolutely nobody is ever ready for betrayal. So, when you are betrayed, you have to look up. You have to get your eyes off of your circumstance, you have to get your eyes off of yourself, and you have to get your eyes off of your own relational discord, and you have to look up to the cross of Jesus Christ. What scene does this remind you of in verse 9? Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. If you're new to the Bible, that's great. But I also want you to flip to John 13. So flip to the right a little bit to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And this is where we recall what verse 9 kind of triggers for us. Chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples have had some dinner together. Then Jesus gets up. He washes the feet of his disciples. Peter, who's doing this in normal Peter fashion, he freaks out just a little bit about what's happening. He doesn't want just his feet washed, but his whole body to be washed. And we pick up the story in verse 9. So settle in a little bit. I'm going to read a good chunk of this chapter to us, starting in verse 9. Of John chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he know, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and put out his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you, 
I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, the one, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Peter wants to make sure it's not him. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought because Jesus, or Judas, some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, catch this, he immediately went out, and it was night. Because betrayal reminds us of darkness, and darkness is represented at the end of John or this story in John 13. Jesus, friends, has furnished you a very dramatic, lived-out example of how to have a gospel reflex during betrayal. Psalm 41, ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. John 13, it's just before the Passover feast, the evening meal has been served, and the devil had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus then swings into humble, service-oriented action, washing feet. Whose feet did Jesus wash? The chronology and the narrative suggests to us that Judas is probably very present at that moment and that Jesus knew Judas was about to betray him. Now, you have to keep in mind that betrayal always blindsides you and I. But imagine if you had in your hands the ankles of the man who was about to betray you, not betray you just a little bit, but betray you into the hands of murderers. And in this moment, Jesus chooses to mercifully display his love and he gives Judas an opportunity to repent and then he feeds him. Friends, Jesus knows betrayal. And I want you to hear that. Because when you are betrayed, you tend to feel a deep sense of loneliness. And in our betrayal, you have to look up. Jesus knows his own betrayal, and he also knows your betrayal. He knows your betrayal from your parents. He knows your betrayal from your siblings. He knows your betrayal from your spouse. Your Savior has eaten with someone in one moment 
And then the next moment, that same person is betraying him. So this has happened to you. This has happened to me. People have come over for dinner. And they've had a meal with you. And the next moment, they're gone. Out of your life. Maybe betraying you along the way. One summer, you're taking a family vacation with somebody. And then the next minute, they don't respond to your texts or your phone calls. Social media, by the way, makes all of betrayal worse. So friends, when you are betrayed, you have to look up. The road to Golgotha was paved with betrayal. And so before you even get to the cross, we see and we feel the relational turmoil and betrayal. All right, back to Psalm 41. We had to go to John momentarily because Jesus is all over Psalm 41. Psalm 41, verse 5. I have to get back there. Psalm 41, verse 5. My enemies say in me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? Friends, Jesus' name can't perish. Our hope in betrayal and in all of life, is in the name of Jesus. And we come to Jesus for eternal life. And eternal life, by the way, is the opposite of any sort of perishing. Psalm 41, verse 8. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Well, that's not true of Jesus. Because Christ died, and then he rose three days later, conquering sin, conquering Satan, conquering death. So here in verse 8, the betrayer can't win, because Christ has won. So, why camp out here for a minute? Simply because when betrayal blindsides you, you have got to remember to look up. Look to the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Look up to a Savior who knows what it's like to be betrayed. Look to the Holy Spirit who can steady you and strengthen you. You have got to look up. And lastly, when you are betrayed, you also have to look forward. You don't look back. You look forward. Psalm 41 Verse 11, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That's verse 13, sorry. Verse 11, by this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Verse 12, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Notice the future tense of this verse in verse 11. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. That's looking forward. The way forward is recognizing that relationship with God can change everything. So what do we need most? When we've been betrayed, we need to remember that God delights 
in his children. So, when betrayed, you're asked to trade in your desire for revenge for the delight of God. We trade in our desire for revenge for the delight of God. That's not wimpy, that's mature. That's not wimpy, that's mature. To remember that God delights in you. I was just chatting with a good friend of mine recently, and he was mentioning how uh, one of the grandparents, one of the grandfathers just delights in being with his kids. And he was just reflecting with how fond that is for him. He just delights. He plays with them. He loves them so much because delight is family language. God delights in you. Delight is the way a father dotes on his daughter. Delight is the way a husband can cherish a wife. Delight is the way a wife enjoys her husband. Delight is a way a friend isn't just honest but catches your vulnerabilities. Delight is affection language. And that's what you have here. The psalmist says, I know that you delight in me. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that the God of the universe delights in you? Have you experienced the delight of God? You can. This church is about God, and God is a good father, and you can trust him. Now, I realize that trust is a heavy word, okay? You can be delighted in. After being honest about betrayal, the psalmist draws on the delighting, pleasing love of God. God will not allow the enemies to triumph. Even though the betrayal is real, the delight of God is there, and the delight of God can be here as well. The people of God have the delight of God. Betrayal hurts because we're betrayed by people really close to us, friends, family, people who we had a certain delight in and whom we thought had a certain delight in us. So there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of mutual delight going back and forth. Friendship is a relationship of joy and delight. So when I've been in a relationship or a friendship with someone who seems to care about my well-being and flourishing and seems to be committed to me, but now has betrayed me, now I'm realizing they don't actually enjoy me. Maybe they were just using me or something other than mutual delight must have been happening. The crumbling of that delight or the crumbling of that affection in that relationship is what is so disorienting to us in betrayal. But listen to this. When the crumbling happens, you have got to look up and you can draw on the fact that God's love for his children never crumbles. It never gives up. Betrayal hurts. It's very disorienting. But God's delight in his children is so healing. It's so reorienting in the disorientation of betrayal. God's delight is actually the only way that I think you can make it through betrayal. I know of no other way. His delight can ground you. His delight can heal you. And really experiencing God's delight in you can set you free from bitterness. There's no remedy other than God's delight that can set you free from anger, 
despair, a sense of hopelessness. There's no other way. Everything else that you try will come up short. And the delight of God is what we need when we're in that disoriented, disoriented betrayal space. Because God won't betray his children. Not only is the psalmist looking forward and remembering that God delights in his children, he's looking forward and remembering that God will also honor integrity. Did you catch this in verse 12? You have, the psalmist says this with a great deal of confidence, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. So that means that your character matters even when you're being betrayed. You cannot control the whispers that are out there in the public square when somebody betrays you, but you can walk in the power of the Spirit. If you're a Christian and the Spirit lives in you, then you can have self-control because your integrity matters. You don't need to rise up with a sense of defensive posture if you're a Christian, you can have the courage to eat with your enemies and be secure in your identity in Christ. And your identity doesn't have to be living in the wake of betrayal, nor does it have to be making sure that all of your relationships are full of harmony all the time, okay? Sorry if you're an Enneagram 9. You can't manage all of that, all right? Your identity is in Christ, and he delights in you, and he upholds those who live with a sense of integrity. You have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. And we look forward with that. This is a gospel reflex to betrayal. And it is totally opposite of the culture that you're swimming in. We do not live in a positive world. We don't live in a neutral world. We live in a negative world. And the world's way is if somebody attacks you, you should either cancel them or bite back. If someone betrays you, don't get mad, get even, right? More than ever, our culture is full of hostility and revenge. This is your political climate, it's your social media climate, it's the culture you're swimming in. But listen, according to Psalm 41, the people of God can have a different approach. When we respond in light of the gospel, we show that our hope is somewhere else. Our love is somewhere else. Our identity is rooted somewhere else. So friends, betrayal is terrible. It is one of the worst things that we can experience this side of heaven. I would like to say that I hope it never happens to you. But I tend to be a little bit more realistic than that. So what I want to say is, when betrayal happens to you, remember that the gospel is good news even then. And the people of God can be hopeful and confident amidst betrayal. Here's how we do it. When it happens, we look in. What do I need to own? This is Psalm 41, verse 4. What do I need to own? What do I need to repent of in this relational discord? Secondly, we look up. 
knowing that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and everybody else along the way. And we recall that our Savior gets it. And lastly, we look forward, remembering that God delights in his children so we can stomach a little bit of betrayal. We must ask, even though the betrayal bites and stings, what is the Lord requiring of me right now? What does Christian integrity look like in the midst of this betrayal now? Let me pray for you and for myself as we reflect on this. Lord, we come before you. I'm sure that there's just all sorts of betrayal stories coming to uh, the minds of my friends now. But we're also mindful that this city can look different because you're here. We're mindful that our relationships can look different because you're here. Lord, we pray that we would take in Psalm 41 with a real honest approach and a new reflex to betrayal. We know that also betrayal brings out the worst in us. And so we just ask for your peace. We ask for your guidance. We ask that you would make us a people with a healthy Christian character and integrity to it because as we respond to it in a Christ-like way, in a gospel-saturated way, that will have impact on our relationships. I pray for those in the room who are in the midst of betrayal right now. Maybe somebody here is trying to make sense of betrayal in real time. I pray that you would help them. I pray for those in this room who have or are doing the betraying right now and they're trying to hide from it. Would you bring them to sincere, wholehearted repentance? And one of the things we ask, Lord, is that you would use the people in this room, this church, this, this movement, with the relationships represented here, to bring about change. Would you make this a church full of people who can look in, that can look up and can look forward, instead of blame shifting or pointing the finger at anybody else? Make us different. Everything we've reflected on here, we only can do by the grace of God. And so, Lord, would you give us your grace and would you give us your mercy to do our own work and to do that work with a great deal of hope and courage when it comes to betrayal. In your name, amen.